Amen. Would you please be seated? I'm going to read from the prophet Jeremiah this morning, Jeremiah chapter 33. You'll find the book of Jeremiah in your Bible, close to the middle, a little bit to the right, after the book of Isaiah. Jeremiah 33.1 says this, The word of the Lord came to Jeremiah a second time while he was still shut up in the court of the guard. Thus says the Lord who made the earth, the Lord who formed it to establish it, the Lord is his name. Call to me and I will answer you and I will tell you great and hidden things that you have not known. The basic idea I want to get across this morning is that the fear of God means to have words for God. And I hope to not annoy you with my simplicity or my repetition, but to set before you the immensity and the incomprehensibility of, of that very thought. That there is a God who would say, call upon me and I will show you things hidden that you have not known. The idea of one fear that we have been looking at these last few weeks is to distinguish one fear from having no fear, which is the boast of the world in which we live, no fear. When the reality is, is that there are in fact many fears that people are riddled with in this world. And to distinguish having no fear or many fears with one fear. An example of one fear in the Old Testament stories of the Bible, I think, is in the life of David, who faced the Philistine army and their great man, Goliath. And David, or sorry, yes, David had, had one fear. He wasn't completely without fear. He had one fear, and it was the fear of God which allowed him to, with boldness, approach the giant and say in the name of of the God of Israel. But Saul and his men were full of many fears. While David had one fear, Saul had many fears. And those fears were real. The fear of, of, of Saul's men were real and the fear of David's brothers were real. You could see the annoyance on David's brothers when David inquired of him. Is it just, just go away. It, 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 it's the kind of, of impatience that is typical of somebody who is riddled with fear. The fear of the Philistines was a real threat. Everything was at stake in their lives as an Israelite people. And no pat answer, no simple small assurance makes those fears that are so very, very real, makes them go away. And, and so the Christian response to fear isn't to trivialize fear, isn't to say, oh, well, you know, it'll, it just, it, it, it'll, it'll probably go away. The Christian response to those fears is one fear. And that one fear is a great mercy because it, re, it, it lifts from us the, the trust and, and the fear of, of all of the things that, that we trust in that allow those fears to thrive, to continue to thrive. But our world is, in fact, a place where people have real fear, fears that are, are about the world in, in which we live, the fear of sickness, the fear of escalating war, the fear of economic calamity, the fear of social meltdowns, the fear of worldwide 
disaster. And God delivers us from those fears, not by any pat answer or small assurance of saying, oh, don't worry, it'll be okay. But with one fear and drives away the many fears by giving us one fear. And that one fear delivers us from all of the things that the world trusts in that allow those fears to thrive. So again, this is what I mean by one fear, a definition of one fear. It means to listen to God, to the God who speaks. That was, that was last week. To listen to the God who speaks. But it also means to speak to the God who listens. That is a part of our fear. If you speak to God, you do so and not running from God, not afraid from God, but real fear of God, has words for God. God is neither deaf nor mute. God is not like the idols of the nations. God has words that he speaks. He has a voice. And we receive those words, but there's a, a correspondence between God's voice and God's ears in us. And those who hear God's words, those who receive God's words, have words for God's ears. He speaks and he hears. And to listen to the God who speaks and to speak to the God who hears is the fear of him. Those who have words for God, from God will also have words for God. And so those to whom God speaks, he says, call upon me. Call upon me and I will tell you great and hidden things that you have not known. God commands us to speak. God commands us to have words for him. In Deuteronomy chapter 4, Moses sets these words before the people newly delivered from the nation of Egypt. And what Moses is trying to do is he's trying to say, look at people. Do you understand the significance of this? Do you understand how you have been made different from all the nations of the earth? You have a God who has spoken to you. It, it shook the mountain. It shook the earth on which, which you were. But you also have a God who is unlike the idols of the nations. You have a God who hears you. You have a God who listens to you. He says, for what great nation is there that has a God so near to us as the Lord our God is to us whenever we call upon him. It is an amazing and remarkable thing. And so this is the main point that I want to get across this morning. That one fear not only means that, that we listen to God, and it is that, it, it fear is to listen to God, but it is not only that, to listen to the God who speaks, but it also means that we speak to the God who listens. And wherever there are words from God, do you have words from God? It means then that then you have words for God. God is feared when his ears hear are calling upon him. That is what it is to, to fear the Lord. 
His voice has words, and his ears have words from us. In Mark chapter 10, there's the story of the ears of Jesus. And the man that has words for him is Bartimaeus, and Bartimaeus is blind. And you probably recall the story when Jesus is walking by Bartimaeus, his client. He's crying out to the Lord, crying, Jesus, son of David, have mercy upon me. And all of the people around him are saying, would you be quiet? Would you please stop that? You're making a, a nuisance of yourself. And Mark records this. And I think it is a beautiful picture of heaven. I think heaven is a noisy place at most times, but in Revelation chapter 8, it says, and heaven was quiet. Why is it quiet? Well, because there's something ascending. And Mark says that Jesus stopped. And your words came to his ears. Help! <laughs> Help me! Have mercy upon me! It says that Jesus went to the man and says, what would you like? And Jesus healed him. But the man had words for Jesus. As a child, I was taught that to return words from an adult addressed to me with muteness was a great rudeness. I recall visiting family friends, fam family friends of my parents once. I was a young lad of maybe 12 or 13 years old. And I was alone with my parents in this family home of, of others. And the man had three daughters. And he began to tease me. I've never liked teasers since. <laughs> but he began to tease me. And I'm 13 years old. I'm already bigger than this man. <laughs> and he says to me, Barry, I have three daughters. Which one would you like to marry? Just point them out. You can have them. And I turned around and I left the room without a word. I got chastised when I got home that night for being so rude to an adult that spoke to me. <laughs> but you know the general principle. If you are a superior and you speak to somebody, you expect a response. I, I, there's, in John chapter 19, there is recorded the perplexity of Pilate when Jesus is brought before him. And Pilate would say, well, what would you say to me? Understanding this general principle that if you are the superior and you speak to an inferior or speak to someone who is below you, that that person is going to have words for you. And John records this in chapter 19. It says that, and Pilate was amazed because Jesus refused to speak to him. Imagine the perplexity of Pilate. What? You? You've got no words for me? Do you know who I am? Jesus knew exactly who he was, but he knew more so who his heavenly father was. And in the garden and on the cross, it was his heavenly father that he had words for. Hebrews 5, 7 says, In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. A wonderful picture. You know, our Lord prayed. Our Lord had, if you ever get discouraged in prayer, think about that for a moment. Our Lord, God incarnate, had words for his heavenly Father and depended upon his Father hearing his words. I imagine that heaven sure would share 
some of the perplexity that Pilate had of, of, of Jesus in the muteness of a world that has been so filled abundantly with the words of God. We read last week from Jeremiah 10 and Revelation chapter uh, 15, the words to the inhabitants of the earth, who would not fear the Lord God Almighty? So can you imagine the perplexity of heaven and knowing all that, that God has given to the inhabitants of the earth, all his words that have gone forth, all that, has, all that the inhabitants of the world have seen God's word do and accomplish and speak of about himself and say, would you have no words for that God? Would you be mute before that God? And so God commands us, call upon me. Call upon me, and I will show you things hidden that you have not known. Psalm 5, 7 says, I will enter your house by your steadfast love. I will bow down towards your holy temple in the fear of you. Revelation age was read earlier because I love the imagery of it and I think it's imagery that, that needs to stick with us and, and be in our minds on, on the subject of God hearing us and prayer. And it is the imagery of incense and it affirms that God has ears for our words. And the scene in heaven is that, that the, the prayers of the saints ascends like incense and is received into the very throne room, into the very presence of God as a, as a pleasing aroma. And that's helpful for me because it's something that I can visualize. It's, it's something that I can see. It's something that I, I can imagine. I know what incense looks like. I know what incense smells like. And I can imagine this wonderful description of the, the prayers of God ascending into heaven, into the throne room of God and, and the assurance that it gives us that our prayers are not lost. You feel that way sometimes. That our prayers are not just words spoken into the air, but our, our, our prayers are, are words that ascend into the very presence of, of the living God himself who is not an idol, who has ears to hear. And those words are not lost and our our prayers do not die even if we die. A tremendous hope. Don't give up with words for God. Even when you're gone, they're locked in. They belong to him. They are, when they leave us, they are his. They belong to the almighty and living God. Praise the Lord. God hears us. When we speak, God commands us to call upon him. I would never wish to make prayer complicated, but I would labor to make prayer profound. That's what I'm trying to do this morning. As Moses before the people, think about it. Amongst, amongst all the people, have you ever seen anything like this? Have you ever heard of anything like this? Have you ever known of anything like this? Have you ever comprehended something like this? Prayer is not illogical, but it is incomprehensible. Prayer is not unbelievable. We must believe it. But prayer is beyond our comprehension. I was praying with a brother on the front yard here this summer when the weather was nice. 
because the sun was shining and I always like to be out in the sun if the sun is shining. And we were praying together and my mind began to drift as we were praying together and, and speaking out loud and like people always do. People get together and they, and they pray together and, and often don't give it a second thought, but my mind was giving it a second thought and my mind began to wander into a, a place of, of simple awe of what we were doing together. And I thought, wait a minute. This is what, this is what I am expected to believe and I do believe. that we're speaking words out loud and that there is an unseen reality where these words that I'm speaking are ascending into and, and heard by an omnipotent, almighty, listening God. That's what I'm called upon to believe. And from there, there's two paths. There's the path of faith that says, how great must that God must be? How incomprehensibly big? How unimaginably mighty? How unlike me he must be in order to be able to hear prayer? That's the first path. The second path is this. How ridiculous is that? to expect me to believe that there is something out there that simply by us addressing it with our tongue that we believe that it hears us. That's the path of unbelief. And we all know people that are firmly walking in that path. Let me read the words from Jeremiah again. Jeremiah 33. The word of the Lord came to Jeremiah a second time while he was still shut up in the court of the guard. The, the book of Jeremiah could have a second title. It would be called, It Only Gets Worse. <laughs> it Only Gets Worse, Jeremiah. <clears throat> but he was shut up in the court of the guard. Thus says the Lord who made the earth, the Lord who formed it to establish it. The Lord is his name. Call to me and I will answer you and I will tell you great and hidden things that you have not known. This is so common in many places in the scripture. But notice here where God says to call upon me that there is before that command the calling card, calling card of God, so to speak an identification of God in saying, this is who you are calling upon. And that is what establishes the path of faith. I am not a deaf idol. I am not some psychological necessity. I am not some peculiarity of evolution that where people need to have hope in something. I am the creator. I am the one who made all things. I'm the one that established it. I am the Lord. I call this the great separation because it is the great separation between the creature and the creator. 
God's words here mark that great separation between the one who made all things and the ones who were made. And, and prayer is something that, that delineates. Prayer is something that, that marks that great separation. We are the creature. We are the dependent one. We are the calling ones. And God is the creator. He is the one who is called upon. And to call upon him is the fear of him. And in these words where God describes himself, he doesn't reduce himself to their understanding, but rather he removes themselves from their comprehension. I'm more than you can imagine. And so call upon me. I am not like you. If I were like you, why would you call upon me? <laughs> this is what the apostles learned in the boat on the Sea of Galilee when a furious storm hit the boat and Jesus was asleep in the front of the boat. Andrew explained it very well a couple weeks ago from the Gospel of Luke. He's saying that Jesus didn't take their fear away. He simply transferred their fear from the waves to the man, to himself. And they were astonished. They, were, they, were, they had a brand new fear, but it was no longer the fear of the waves. And they realized that, that this man is not like us. And that is precisely why we have words for God. If God were but like us, our words for him would be in vain. Psalms 108 verse 12 says, vain, it is vain to trust in the deliverance of man. Do you understand the great separation? Do you understand the necessity of, of grasping God's calling card. Once the creator-creature distinction is lost, prayer becomes ridiculous. That's the path of mocking. If the distinction of the creature calling out to the creator is lost, then we simply become foolish, which is exactly what the world thinks of us. Fools. That's exactly what has happened in our culture. I was listening to a podcast by an American Baptist preacher that I listen to quite often. His name is Albert Moeller. And he was commenting on the practice of idol making and idol worship in the ancient world and speaking of how there's, there's nothing more ancient than the instinct that we need help for certain things that is outside of ourselves. So it explains the phenomena of why would you do that? 
why would you make a block of wood and talk to it? Why would you cast things in gold and silver and have words for it? Why would you do that? It's because of this instinctive understanding compelled by we have needs that, that we cannot meet ourselves. Needs like weather, for example. Needs like rain for the crops. Needs like sun also for the crops. Needs for a harvest in order to feed ourselves with. A need for health. A need for forgiveness. All of these things were in instinctively known to be, be things that had to be given from something outside of, of their own power. And so people had words for idols, but their idols had no ears. Prayer is not illogical, but here's something illogical. Here's an illogical statement. Because there is such a thing as false prayer, like to idols, therefore real prayer can't exist. The falsehood doesn't in any way deny the reality. Just because there's false currency doesn't mean there's such a thing as real money. Just because there's false love doesn't mean there isn't such a thing as real love. As I listened to this, I began to think about the world in which I live now. And I began to wonder how much the modern world has changed its perspective on the world. That how much of that instinct is, is left in us, of something outside of us depending on for our needs. And how much the world has changed through its reliance upon technology, upon innovation, upon science, upon industry. All of our needs, all of the things that we know that we need, all of our dependence has shifted from something outside of ourselves to something that is within our own power to do. So our world has a lot of innovation. Our world has a lot of technology. A lot, our world has a lot of ways that, through our industry, that we provide for ourselves and our needs but it has no words for God. No words for God. Which is the fundamental definition of Babylon that would ascend to take God's place. Not to deny God, but to replace God with self. Babylon is a place where there is no ears for God's word and no words for God's ears. Revelation 18 has these comforting words, quoting the prophet Isaiah, fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. But it is that great separation it is that great divide between the, the creature and the creator 
that gives us a great hope. Call upon me and I will show you things that you have not known. It is because of that great separation, that great distinction that there is between us and God, that prayer makes sense. He is the Lord of all things. And that is the great hope that we have in Christ. That in Christ, God has brought all of God's words to us, all that God would do for us, things that that we cannot know, things marvelous, things hidden, things that are, are a mystery to us, things like this, calling God our Father, are brought to us by God's word through Christ, but also in the fear of God in Christ, we understand and know and believe and hope and trust that our words for God through Christ, who is our mediator, we have the confidence that our words for God are heard and they are heard as our heavenly Father in Christ. We read earlier from two Chronicles. First Kings chapter eight is another prayer where, where Solomon prays to the Lord and he has just finished the temple and he, and he has a, a long prayer. But I counted the number of times that he described the temple as the place of God's hearing. And we think of the temple as a place of God's sacrifice, and it is. It's a place that, where, where all of God's words were, were followed to in order to, to sacrifice. But Solomon describes it principally as a place of hearing. Seven times through the, the prayer of Solomon, he says, oh Lord, would you hear from heaven? Would you hear from your sanctuary? And so it is also in Christ. Our hope that we have a sanctuary that God hears us from. If you struggle with prayer, if you sometimes find yourself on the path of incredulity, this is what you must do. You must get to the most basic fundamental foundation that there is. And this is, I believe, where our evangelism and our culture needs to go today as well. You need to get to this, that God is real. That you cannot deny that. That God, in his living existence, his creator of the world, is real. And it's what gives the confidence and the the belief that if God is real, then he hears prayers. And so the Apostle Paul says in Ephesians chapter 6, Put your helmet on. Put it on. Make sure that you've got your armor on. And with your armor on, he says this, keep alert with all perseverance, praying at all times in the spirit, with all prayer and supplication for the saints. I'd like to pause and give you an opportunity to pray in silence for a moment or two. And then Laurie will come and lead us in the Lord's prayer. But would you have words for God? Words of help, words of thanksgiving, words of repentance, words of supplication for people that you love and know. Prayers for yourself. And we'll give opportunity for that for a few moments before we conclude. Please take this opportunity to have words for God.